0: Welcome to NVC Life. I'm Rochelle Lam, veteran NVC trainer and relationship coach, helping listeners navigate interpersonal conflict and ground more deeply into relational living. Greetings, fellow humans. Today, I respond to a question I received from a listener. Dear Rochelle, I just came across your podcast on Spotify, and I like it a lot. One topic that causes a lot of distress in my relationship are questions. In particular, why questions? Generally speaking, I have a great abhorrence of them. My partner loves asking them and seems to have an insatiable appetite for me to explain myself beyond my consent. Have you got any material on this thorny topic, or would you turn it into a podcast episode? Kind regards, Christine. I absolutely think that this is a podcast-worthy subject, and I'm confident that Christine isn't the only listener who doesn't enjoy questions. So let's dive in. The first thought that came to me as I read Christine's question was, Something Marshall Rosenberg often said at his workshops, never ask a question without first revealing what's in your heart. He would especially stress the importance of this if the person who is asking the question has a position of authority. Lawyers, workers in the police force, bosses, parents, teachers... These can all be intimidating figures in our lives, and it's hard to know if answering a question asked by authority figures will get us into trouble or not. So the resistance or skepticism is perfectly understandable. But as well, the discomfort can be easily transferred to other relationships where the imbalance of power is perhaps negligible. A spouse or partner asking us, why didn't you pick up some ice cream? Or how did you get that stain on your jacket? Or even, what time are we expected to arrive? Any of these could ignite a heated exchange between two people. I'm just asking you a simple question. Why the hell do you always have to get so defensive? Of course, that last one isn't really a question, is it? In fact, beware of questions that sound like questions, but aren't really questions. What were you thinking? How could you have said that to me? Why didn't you call me? When a person asks those kinds of questions, they don't typically want an answer to the question. I didn't call you because I was in a meeting doesn't address the unspoken request for empathy. You'd be better off with, I apologize for not having given you notice that I was going to be 20 minutes late. The person wants to know that you understand the impact of your behavior. Your explanation is secondary and will only increase the person's level of frustration if it's the first thing you say. In what were you thinking? An empathic response might be, it sounds like you're pretty upset that I accidentally ran the red light, that you want me to know how scared you were. Am I close? How could you have said that to me? An empathic response might be, are you shocked and disappointed about what I said? Would you like me to exercise greater care and respect in my choice of words? Notice that I'm not using the NVC classic formula, but a more relaxed version of it instead. The formula would sound more like this. Are you feeling shocked and disappointed because your need for respect and consideration aren't being met in how I just spoke with you? You can say that as well, of course, but I personally find the first response more fluid and less stilted. It's entirely up to you, though. The point is to try and connect more viscerally to what the other person is saying and somehow convey that you can understand them, even if you don't entirely agree with their perspective. I've just spoken about how one might respond to these questions that aren't really questions. They're actually accusations more than the questions they pretend to be. But how about we look at how those questions might have been more honestly expressed to begin with. Remember, never ask a question without first revealing what's in your heart. So let's revisit the question. How could you have said that to me? If we reformulate this one using an NVC approach and coming from our heart, we might say, Hearing you say just now that I came across as cold and indifferent at the restaurant earlier with your family, I feel shock and disappointment. I would love some understanding for how much I was struggling in that moment to digest what you were telling us about how challenging it's been for you to see your mother declining so rapidly each time you visit her. I'm wondering if hearing this from me helps you to frame my silence at the dinner differently. So I'm giving you some context to this statement so that we have more to work with. Hopefully you can hear the difference between the two ways of engaging. The first is the direct question that doesn't reveal what's going on. How could you have said that to me? Whereas the second Fully reveals what's going on inside the person. And I hope you can see how the manner of approach will impact the outcome. What we say and how we say it will either bring us closer or drive us further apart. I think it's important to say at this point that not everyone feels drawn to conversations where people are being so honest and vulnerable, where they are revealing themselves in the context of their feelings and their needs. So a staler to your own and others often fluctuating levels of openness and desire for close contact. Remember those two sayings, familiarity breeds contempt, and distance makes the heart grow fonder. And we often vacillate between these two. The idea isn't to be in perpetual deep connection with others. Better is to be in connection with life itself and to have some regard for its various seasons. I want to restate Christine's question at this point because there's another layer that I perceive in there, her question. Generally speaking, I have a great abhorrence of questions. My partner loves asking them and seems to have an insatiable appetite for me to explain myself beyond my consent. What stands out for me here is the place where insatiable appetite needs beyond my consent, which could easily be described as discrepancies desire, a term typically applied to sexual intimacy, but it can apply equally to levels of desire vis-a-vis internal or external pressure a person might feel around revealing oneself or expectations around wanting to know another person beyond that person's comfort level. I would really need some examples of the kinds of questions being asked here. Are the questions being asked in a genuine attempt to better understand your motives and or behaviors? Let's imagine that the answer is yes. Your partner really wants to better know you. I would encourage anyone who finds themselves in this situation and possibly cringing at the thought of having a partner better know you, spend some time reflecting on the some questions that I'm going to offer up. I also want to say here that there is no just right amount of revealing. Rather, we want to track how our revealing and how our withholding impact our relationships with others and with ourselves. Pay attention to this, for instance. A good number of people confess to feeling desperately lonely, despite being in a stable relationship. Is this you? Why is that? As much as we say we want to be close to someone, we can also fear the closeness we seek. Why? Most often this relates to our early childhood experiences. Either our primary caregiver's love, care, and attention was mostly absent, inconstant, or engulfing, or a combination thereof. And as much as we might theoretically and mentally understand how history has shaped us, these fears can be deeply embedded within our bodies. The issues are in the tissues, as you might have heard before. And so our unmet needs of being fully seen, embraced, and accepted on a deep visceral level, and at a time when it mattered most in our early development, can continue to afflict our interactions even decades after the injury has been sustained. We may not even have a memory of it. Our bodies remember, though, and that's enough to tell us that there's something more going on beneath the surface than someone feeling an abhorrence for questions, or conversely, someone feeling they must know every single thing about their partner in every single moment. So here are some questions for listeners to consider. Where is my question actually coming from? Do I really want to better understand the other person? Or do I really want empathy? Do I want to make them wrong? Or do I want to experience greater control and less uncertainty to lower my anxiety? What's driving my question? Why do I feel so threatened by my partner's questions? Do I have a story running in my head that they are trying to find fault with me, which may be accurate, by the way, or that they want to know more about me than I'm ready to reveal? Either way, how might I discuss this with my partner in a manner that deepens respect for our differences? Why do I feel a need to press my partner with questions that he or she clearly doesn't want to answer. Are the questions I'm asking or hearing somehow threatening or overly probing? What am I hiding? What don't I want my partner to know about me? How much do I ultimately trust or not trust my partner? Humans are complex and at times full of contradiction. There are some parts of myself that on the one hand, I genuinely want to share with another person. And yet on the other hand, I feel too afraid to share. Why is that? What purpose does it serve? And in what ways does it interfere with me having full and meaningful relationships? Those are a few questions to start the ball rolling. You might want to write some of your responses in a journal so you can have greater insight into your own resistances and dilemmas and at the same time increase your capacity to articulate them. Thank you for your question, Christine. It was a good one. I hope something in what I've said resonates with you and supports you in your relationship. I conclude this episode with some fine words from the German poet Rainer Maria Rilke, where he speaks of marriage. And these words also apply, in my opinion, to anyone, married or not, who is involved in an intimate relationship. The point of marriage is not to create a quick commonality by tearing down all boundaries. On the contrary, a good marriage is one in which each partner appoints the other to be the guardian of his solitude, and thus they show each other the greatest possible trust. A merging of two people is an impossibility. And where it seems to exist, it is a hemming in, a mutual consent that robs one party or both parties of their fullest freedom and development. But once the realization is accepted that even between the closest people, infinite distances exist, a marvelous living side by side can grow up for them if they succeed in loving the expanse between them, which gives them the possibility of always seeing each other as a whole and before an immense sky. Thank you for tuning into NBC Life. For future episodes, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or For free resources or to book a private session with me, head over to RochelleLamb.com. Until the next time, stay sane, grateful, and generous.